0: While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for, We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, well, good morning. <laughs> If I have not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Joy Gonzalez. I'm the campus pastor here at Uptown Church and it is so good to see you this morning. We are continuing this series, You in Five Years. And we have been asking this really big question and maybe this kind of feels like going home to your parents' house over the holiday and they say, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to corner you. But we are asking this question, particularly at this time of year, when so many of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions. Instead of the next 12 months, what could we actually do over the next, um, like, 60 months? What could we do over the next five years to be the person we truly want to be? Because here's the thing about New Year's resolutions, and how many of you in here, like, hate New Year's resolutions? Anybody with me? Okay, how many of you love them? Okay, just ignore me for the next five minutes. Okay, what many of us find out, usually, especially at this point in January, is that we overestimate what we can do in 12 months But we completely underestimate what we can do over a long period of time, such as five years or 60 months, to really get to life change. Because the truth of our lives is this, is that no real life change, no deep work happens in us in a short amount of time, right? Right? We don't just simply decide, oh, I'm going to be this or I'm going to do this, and then in a few weeks we're there. It takes time to get where we're going, so we need more time. So we started off asking that question, who do you really want to be in five years? When you look back on your life five years from now, what do you want to have accomplished? What do you want to have seen take place in your life? And here's one truth we talked about in the first week that can be a little disheartening for us is that usually our future selves are just an exaggerated version of our current selves. That unless we make a choice to change, the trajectory we're on today will be where we find ourselves in five years, just maybe with a little bit more leathered skin and and such. So if who you want to be in five years is different than the trajectory you're on, what are you doing to change it? Because the good news is you have the power to change you. Now you can't change a lot of other people in your life or any other people in your life, but you can change you. So who do you wanna be? Last week, we talked about this idea of change and why is it so hard for us to change? And we determined that it's hard to change because of this thing called inertia. You know, remember like eighth grade science class and laws of motion and Sir Isaac Newton, he said that an object at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an external force that we usually need something to get us going to get us in the process of motion of change. Usually crisis does a pretty good job for most of us of getting us to that point of changing. However, we can't facilitate a crisis in our life every time we need to change. So in the absence of crisis, what do we do? And so we talked about this idea of facilitating that kind of internal crisis within us as to realizing Okay, there's a good shot. I may not be who I want to be in five years if I don't do something now. What do I lose? What do I lose if I don't get to that point? Have you ever thought about that? What do I lose in five years if I don't become the person I hope that God is calling me to be? The person I believe God is calling me to be. On the other side of that, what does the world lose if you don't become who you're called to be? And this idea that that internal crisis that we can conjure up within us when we ask that question spurs us to action and motion. But then we take the steps little by little once we're in motion to continue to build momentum. So that, that's where we've been, who we want to be, and how we're going to get there. But today I want to talk about when you do the work. When do you do the work of becoming the person you want to be? Because how many of us know that there are all sorts of times in our lives that we are ready to add something new, ready to exercise regularly, you know, take up a craft or a hobby. But the big question in our lives is when? When do I have time For that. Now, is it just me or show of hands? Do you feel like you get to the end of your day and you consistently ask yourself, where did the day go? Anybody else? Like, do I have some? Okay, good, I'm not alone. There are more times than not, I sit down at dinner with my family and I'm like, what did I do today? I know I was busy all day long, but where did all that time go? So, how are we gonna add more things to our life? or really do the work of becoming who we want to be. And and I want to propose a little shift in the way we understand our days. Now, we all get the same amount of hours in the day. How many hours do we get in the day? 24. Yeah, 24 hours. Nobody gets more, nobody gets less. You know, we say the phrase, I've got to find time. But really, we don't find time. We're all given the same amount we spend it. We just invest it differently. So what if we change the way we framed those 24 hours to maximize the time we do have and invest it or spend it more wisely? Now, this might be a shift for some of y'all. How many of you are morning people? Okay. Okay. You're those crazy people I don't want to be friends with. Like, you're like, it's a new day, coffee, yay. You probably don't even need coffee. You're just excited about the day. Okay, how many are more like me? You're like a night person. It's like 10 p.m. and you're like, I got to get up early. But you're wide awake thinking about everything and nothing all at the same time. Yeah, well, I think your evenings and your mornings, but particularly because I'm an evening person, have the power to change your life. And we see this in scripture. So I'm gonna, this is not just my idea. I'm gonna back it up. In Genesis, we read, and this is at the very beginning of creation, when time is being created, this is what we read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters of the earth. So God separated the waters under the vault from the water above it. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit and seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds and trees bearing fruits with seeds according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. You get where this is going, right? And then God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then there was evening. And there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, this is at the very beginning of time being created. And did you notice there's this rhythm? Every day is counted from evening to morning. How do you and I understand typically our days? Usually from morning to evening. We think our day begins, right, when the sun comes up. But in the ancient world, particularly in ancient Judaism in which this scripture was written and in which Christianity comes out, they understood time and days in terms of creation. That a day began in the evening because that's when God created. So the day began at that night and then went until the next morning, evening and morning. Evening and morning were how they counted days. So all my night people are like, woo-woo, we had it right. We knew, we knew. We were just more biblical than the rest of the world. That's right, pat yourself on the back. Okay, so here is, I'm gonna show you what 24 hours of your day looks like. That's 24 marks, my little graph here. This is what you're given. For us here in Dallas, at this time of year, Usually, we get sunset right now around 6 p.m., and we get our sunrise at 7.30 a.m. That shifts a little bit depending on the time of year, but that's where we're at right now. And I want to propose to you today, instead of thinking about your days starting with the morning, particularly your work morning, because that's how most of us think of our days, that 9 to 5, the grind is that you flip it and begin to think of your days in terms of your evenings first flowing in to your mornings. Because I think that's the real power when we have the time and the energy to do the work of becoming who God is calling us to be and becoming the person we want to be in five years. See, what we typically do is that when we think morning to evening, we typically shove everything in to the most craziest part of our day. We shove everything into the time outside of that 13 and a half hours. We think of if I'm going to do something new, like exercise, or if I'm going to eat better, I got to do it during like the eight to five, nine to five kind of work day. But we are pushing I think unnecessarily so, pushing some of the biggest change that needs to happen in our lives to the one time of our day in life we cannot control. Think about it. What is the portion and the hours of the day that you can least control? It's those hours we typically think of of daytime, our work day, 9 to 5, 8 to 5, 9 to 6, somewhere in between there. And we neglect The time frame, this 13 and a half hours, that is disproportionately more powerful to impact our lives than any other point in our days. So what if you flipped the way you understood your day, that you flipped the most important part of your day to this 13.5 hours, and you'll notice that doesn't include your work day, And you focus on that time and see who and what you can be by maximizing that time. My bottom line for today, if you're a note taking person, is simply this. If you anchor your evenings and your mornings, then in the middle of the day, come what may, you've already had a great day. If you anchor, your life and the deep work of becoming who you want to be in your evenings and your mornings and that 13 and a half hours outside of your crazy work day, outside of the time frame you can't control, then whatever happens in that nine to six, eight to five time frame, it doesn't matter because you have already won the day. Here's what I mean with that, is that For us in this 13 and a half hours, one of the biggest things we do is what? Sleep. But how many of us actually get good sleep? Okay, anybody get a solid 10 hours in here? Okay, anybody get nine hours of sleep in here? I might hate you, but okay. Anybody get eight hours of sleep in here? Okay, good for you, good for you. Um, Anybody seven? You average about seven hours of sleep, okay? Anybody in the six hours? Okay, more hands are going up. Anybody get under five hours of sleep on a regular basis? You're probably not going to admit it, even if you do, because you know I'm going to just, yeah. Okay, we used to get your great-great-grandparents back in the day, like, early, early centuries, they used to get 10 hours on average of sleep a night. 10 hours. I can't even imagine what that would be like. I don't even think my body will stay in bed for 10 hours. But we're told we actually need, on average today, about what? Eight hours of sleep. That ideally, the good average that you and I could get for our lives would be eight hours. But do you know the average amount of sleep people in America today get? Six and a half hours. We're told we need eight hours of sleep, and we're all, most of us, are averaging six and a half. Now, do you know even um, beyond eight hours, high performers or people who are high-achieving they usually get closer to nine hours. It averages eight hours and 36 minutes of sleep a night. The most high achieving, high performing individuals get every single night. One of the biggest things that we can do to set ourselves up for success and win our day, most of us, what? We aren't doing, getting sleep. That's, that's point one of this message. I'll tell you, there's only two points. And that's, this is a major one. Point one, get sleep. A lot of people in the room are like, amen. She gave me permission to sleep in and hit snooze. Don't tell your boss. Your pastor said you should sleep more. But sleep more. Get sleep. You know why most of us don't get sleep is because of this guy right here. You know who this is? Thomas Edison. Doesn't he look so sinister and like sassy in that picture? He just looks like the type of guy that's ruining your sleep. Before Thomas Edison and the creation of the incandescent light bulb, our great-great-grandparents were getting tons of sleep that 10 hours a night because their bodies, their circadian rhythm followed the light. But with the invention of the light bulb, we were able to create unnatural light keeping us up. And then from there, it has spiraled. We all have these that we look at. We all have TVs and computer screens with the blue light that now um, keeps us awake and knocks off the production of melatonin in our body. So we are not getting the sleep that we need because we have so many things to keep us awake unnaturally now. Our bodies don't follow the rhythm of light anymore. But here's what happens. When we don't sleep. Did you know studies have shown that when we don't sleep, when we're not getting that average eight hours of sleep, we're more irritable, we tend to be depressed, we don't eat well, most of us don't exercise when we're not sleeping well, and we don't perform. Most of us, this big one, we don't perform, we don't produce. Most of our life is judged on our production, but when we're not sleeping we're not producing at the level people are asking us to. There's another study that shows not only does it make us more irritable, we eat worse, all these bad things, but it is like when, you, when you're when you not sleeping, and particularly if you were to take your whatever your average hours of sleep are and just go ahead and subtract four hours of sleep every night, it would be like you getting up to go to work after chugging a six pack of beer. It it impairs your mind and your body function so much so that it is like drinking a six pack of beer before going to work, going to function. Now imagine you have surgery scheduled and you go in, would you like to see the anesthesiologist chug his six beer and say, okay, let's do this? No. The pilot of the flight you're getting on to to go to that trip or meeting, would you like to know that he chugged six beers before piloting that flight, your kid's teacher? No. But that's what we do to our bodies when we cut out this primary thing, sleep. So get sleep. Sleep. What's so amazing to me is after those um, verses in Genesis, in which God creates, it says, "What does God do after creating all things? He rests." And and God didn't need rest, but God knew we did. And so God exemplifies for us what we need to do that keeps us functioning in the way that God created us to be and function. And so God rests and then God calls us not only to do work and create with God, but to also like God, rest and be renewed. I've, many of you know, I have a three-year-old and um, almost two-year-old son. And three years ago, we adopted our eldest son, Felix, And we had to travel. Um, It was an out-of-state adoption. And so we spent the first month and a half of his life traveling on the road, outside of our home. And one of the biggest concerns I had with that was babies need to sleep. We're not going to be able to sleep train him because he's not going to be in his bed. And, you know, I read all the books. So I was like, we have to put him down at the same time in the same place. And it's like all the perfect conditions have to be there. Sleep training. Ah, and so being the pastor that I am, I was like, okay, what are we going to do? And so every night and every time I would take him to g- lay down for a nap, I would, I would go through this mantra You are created for rest. God made you to sleep. Your body needs you to sleep. As you sleep, your brain and your body grows and develops. When you rest, you become the person you're supposed to become. And I would just say all of these things, just trying to get this little baby to sleep. Now, I don't know if it worked, but he did sleep through the night at eight weeks. So there you go, claim to fame. And sometimes he still will ask me to this day, Mom, will you tell me why we sleep? I'm like, sure, yes. Sleep helps us grow. God made you to rest. You're your best when you sleep. And and so we just say that all the time to remind him he's not a product of what he does, but also a product of what he allows himself to be. And most of that happens in sleep. I would say... The second point to how we become the people we want to become is not only getting sleep, not only resting as God has called us to rest, but then when we are awake, going deep. Going deep. We often, what do we do? We go to work from 9 to 5, 8 to 5, whatever your work schedule is, and we often reserve our best for somebody else or for another cause. But what if you are? What are you? What if you are the answer God needs in the world around you? Not just your work and what you produce when you're there, your job, but just you and who you are. If we're putting all of our best work and just our jobs and our careers, when do we become the sort of people that really impact and change the world? So, I propose that you get your eight hours of sleep. But then, in these other hours that you have before work, before bed, before you even get to that work time frame of around eight to nine, is that you spend time going deep spiritually. Get in scripture, get in prayer, meditate, become, go deep physically exercising. We all know we should do it. We are told every time we go to the doctor, we need to do more exercising. This is the time to do that. When are you going to read those books that you might want to read in the next five years to change and grow? This is the time you have to capitalize these evenings and these mornings before your time is taken by other people. And what would it look like for you to go to work after investing in you and who God's calling you to be before doing work? I mean, imagine showing up at work after you've already been in Scripture, you've already prayed, you've already exercised, which we know naturally impacts your mood and makes you feel better and energized. You've already taken care of your goal of reading. You're going into that day feeling like you've already won, and then you end up bringing your better self to work anyway. So go deep in the time that's only yours and capitalize on that. I love this quote by Alexander Graham Bell, someone who impacted our world in a really big way. He says, you have got to concentrate all of your thoughts on the work at hand. Talking about this idea of going deep in work. He says, the sun's rays do not burn until they're brought to a focus. Same with us. We have all this power and potential to do good good, deep work, but until we focus in and actually do that deep work and get away from the distractions, we're not really living in that potential to become. So do deep work when you have the uninterrupted time to do it. I, I've i just got, as we in the last few minutes wrap up, have just a few ideas I've heard from time experts, things I try to do, others of you have told me that you do, to really go deep once you've slept. Is One, make a plan. How are you going to spend your time before bed and right after you get up before work? What can you really utilize that time for rather than scrolling? Because How many of us just sit on the couch and it's so easy to scroll, scroll, scroll and then an hour goes by and you're like, Ah, I haven't done anything, I could have read a book, I could have done something. So make a plan to do the deep work. Two, take notes. We know that if we don't track things, and we talked about this last week, if you don't keep score, you're just practicing. So if you've got a plan, take notes on if you're actually doing it. Track your exercise, track how many pages of that book you're reading, track how much water you drink, track, what you're eating, if you're trying to eat healthier and be a better you, take notes on it because then you're holding yourself accountable to do the deep work. Three, use time blocks. Instead of just getting distracted and thinking you can multitask, because how many of us can really multitask? None of us. Experts say our brains don't work that way. We try to multitask, but it's a myth we can only focus usually our attention on one thing over a period of time to actually do anything decent and to do any sort of good work so block off time to read to for scripture study and and make sure that it is designated for that and then be inaccessible that is Is something that's so hard for us because we think, oh, my gosh, if they can't text me and if I can't get back to them, oh, my goodness. Have you ever left your phone for a day at home? You're anxious, right? Because you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's happening in the world. They can't get a hold of me. But being accessible is a new idea. I mean, think about it. They fought the entire revolutionary war on mail correspondence. We recently went and saw Hamilton again when it was in Dallas. And that was like one of the things that kept standing out to me. I'm like, they're writing letters. Oh, my gosh. You can be inaccessible. You can be inaccessible for an amount of time. Now, if you have kids, you might need to turn data off but leave phone calls on. But being inaccessible to everybody means you continue to control that time that is not anybody else's. And then finally, let the sun go down. Let the sun go down. And by what I, what I mean by that is when the sun literally goes down, because it's going to set every day, find a time that also the kind of unnatural light, the, the technology that keeps you up, goes down too. When you turn it off or when you say, okay, shut down, complete, I am done, I don't need this anymore. The day with this is done. Because it makes all the difference. It makes all of the difference in our lives. There's this idea in scripture of Sabbath. And when I think of these points of going deep and getting sleep, it reminds me of this rhythm that God's created for us in, in the world. And we use this word to describe it, Sabbath. Sabbath. But it's a way of living your life connected to God so that you are being first rather than doing. And when you anchor your evenings and your mornings, when you do the deep work of becoming who God wants you to be before all your time is taken from somebody else, you focus on the transformative work of being rather than doing. And that's really the heartbeat behind this, not just you having a master calendar and schedule you keep, but you truly living your life out of a place of being connected to God so that your worth, your value, your personhood is not not rooted in what you do for your job or your work, but it's rooted in who you are in God. This idea of Sabbath. That when we choose to rest, when we choose to work from a place of rest, a place of being, we actually live out who God's created us to be and we live out our best um, life. Would you pray with me this morning? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this time. God, we thank you that in just practically looking at strategies and ways that we could be. Lord, more efficient with time. Lord, ways to reframe how we understand our day, to invest the hours that were given well. God, we thank you that in all of this, we hear you calling to us, calling us to be and not simply do. To not simply be people who produce In the world, but be people, God, who are deeply rooted and connected to you and our source of life, knowing day in and day out that our value comes not in what we do for the world, but in simply recognizing that, God, you delight in us, that you see us as we are, that you love us as we are, and that, God, you are calling us day in and day out to be more like you. And your grace, help us to invest our lives wisely. That we live lives, our lives well. And we don't look back in 5, 10, 15, 20 years and ask, where did the time go? God, we give you thanks and praise for the way you are changing and molding our lives. God, we pray that it would be so today and always. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit UptownChurchDallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.